Revolutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 5. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Every week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in NYC. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. Yo, it's Good New York. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on Underground WBAI, a socialist radio show and podcast for members of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America. The DSA is the largest socialist organization in the United States, with 56,000 members nationwide, and NYC DSA is its biggest chapter. We are run by our 5,500-plus members and organizers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five boroughs. Capitalists are waging a war on independent media, but the working class is organizing and fighting back. Red Wave is part of this movement. We're a collective of DSA organizers fighting for worker-owned media and democratically controlled and run community radio, including here at WBAI, where four of us were just elected to the local station board. Today, Amy Wilson and I are joined by fellow Red Wave member Charlotte Albrecht, where we'll discuss the current crisis at Pacifica and our long-term vision to build socialist media rooted in working-class institutions. Then we have a live report from the TWU rally and an interview with a local 100 members by special correspondent Amy Wilson, who is also the same Amy Wilson who is here. Now, normally we get into the headlines and there's a lot going on at the moment, but this is a bit of a another special edition of RPM because not only are we underground, but we're really talking about the organizing work that all of us have been doing. Uh, so it's things are going to be a, a little looser or less interview-like today. Um, and so uh, I guess we'll start off by just briefly introducing Charlotte, if uh, you're not familiar with her and you haven't, because uh, she has not been on our show so far. No, I haven't, not yet. Um, I don't know. I am also a member of NYC DSA, obviously. Um, I'm not sure what else to say. Uh, I used to be a co-chair of North Brooklyn DSA, um, something that Amy passed the baton to her right after. Um and uh, I'm a sociology student and ex-waitress, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, normally we, we dive into like what got people into the movement, but I feel like with this, we can talk more in like the context of like what pushed you into getting involved with BAI. But first, I feel like it's good to give people a bit of perspective or history on what WBAI is as an institution and what the Pacifica network is, and so people can further kind of understand this crisis and i don't know if if anyone else wants to i've been talking a lot already so if anyone else wants to dive into the history first if not i'm i'm also happy to talk more <laughs> well i think charlotte you should give the um you should give the rundown of the the history of wbai and i think we should also go ahead and mention that um Charlotte has been elected as a listener representative to the local station board of WBAI, and Jack Devine and I are going to be serving as staff representatives. So um, it's cool and maybe somewhat rare to have a, a real live listener right in the in the studio with us. And in fact, um, this wouldn't have been possible to discuss this organizing on the air up until very recently because of the fair elections laws. So um, the Red Wave Collective has been operating and active since June of this year, but we haven't been able to discuss it uh, much publicly, and to be honest, there hasn't been much interest in it <laughs> from others publicly. Um, but with the announcement of the um, board results, we're now sort of in a new moment where we can be more public and, and talk more freely about uh, the work that we've been doing sort of behind the scenes. So um, as a representative uh, and a lead organizer in the collective, Charlotte, I think you're well-placed to um, start us off. Sure. Um, before I do, I did want to mention there is one more uh, listener board member, uh, Sophia Albedi, and um, she couldn't be here today, but she's also been deeply, deeply involved in the work, and it's going to be really exciting for the four of us. Um, to enter the trenches together. Um, so uh, WBAI um, is a part of the Pacifica Network <laughs> for now, um, and <laughs> it is community radio, which um, 
you might think of public radio first, but there's there's a distinction there, which is that uh, public radio like NPR, like WNYC, it's great, but it's still beholden to um, the interests of nonprofits and of any donors that it gives to. But community radio is uh, truly democratically run, and most everyone here is is not paid for their time. And so this shows that the people that are here producing the shows that we love um, are very much invested. And so, you know, that that's who um, the station is beholden to. Um, Pacific? Like something, uh, so I just, no, go and ahead. like NPR receives a lot of money from like corporate donors, especially through their foundations. Well, that's not something that happens at a station right. like WBAI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always think of like, you know, brought to you by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. <laughs> so it's not we... like they own the means of production or no, anything. No, not at all. <laughs> well, and you, and you do see that in their reporting and their their coverage and their angles on things. So I think it's it's fair to point out, although relatively more new in media analysis, to point out that public radio doesn't always have its hands clean, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, the Pacifica Network, um, I believe, was founded in 1949 in uh, Berkeley, California. And um, WBAI became a part of Pacifica in 1960, um, but it had been broadcasting, I believe, at least on this frequency, or, well, the frequency suite, it would be on 99.5 um, since the 50s. Um, and it really had its roots in the anti-war movement, in the anti-Vietnam movement, um, anti-Vietnam War movement. (laughs) Um, And one of the things that a lot of people always bring up is that George Carlin did his infamous um, Seven Dirty Words routine. Um, I guess I can say them if you want. A little, a little lighthearted. I mean, they're humor. right behind you yeah, if you I, need a I reminder. Say them, Charlotte. Very just say them. Okay. Seven words you must not use on air. Shit. Piss. I can't do this with a straight face. Fuck. Cunt. Cocksucker. Motherfucker. Tits. And when I send this to my parents, they'll get to hear me saying all those things, too. We can bleep them out if you, if you need it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Charlotte's parents stop listening. Charlotte's parents turn it off. Um... But anyway, so he did that routine on air, and it was actually brought to court against him, Pacifica, and WBAI um, versus the United States. Um, so it's that type of counterculture movement that WBAI was really, really intrinsically involved in. Um, if I can add something to that as well, Charlotte, one of my favorite WBAI fun facts that I was thrilled to learn was that the first performance of Alice's Restaurant by Arlo Guthrie was on WBAI. Um, I grew up listening to Alice's Restaurant uh, every day, every year on Thanksgiving in our local radio station, uh, but I had no idea that it was connected to this station. And that also was very much the same moment, the countercultural, um, uh, anti-Vietnam War, sort of irreverent uh, humor uh, that George Carlin uh, was exemplary of as well. Yeah, and on like the musical front, like Bob Dylan would uh, do live shows here. He would take calls in from the listeners. This was one of the first places, if not the first place, where his music, like um, I think Freewheeling, uh, the first uh, uh, playing of that album in 1963 was on BAI. So it's been the center of the counterculture. And then as Charlotte was talking about, it was really critical in the anti-war movement, the peace movement, and really also uh, kind of against McCarthyism. Um, Pacifica as a whole was called it in the uh, House on Un-American Activities um, Committee. Uh, Also, this was the WBAI was the first station where COINTELPRO reports were read live to listeners. And then um, the My Lai Massacre was first reported on here on WBAI and Pacifica as a whole. So it's been a real center for radical politics and for counterculture and really changing the way that Americans think about things for a long time. Yeah, and uh, more recently, um, the Central Park Five, it was one of the only radio stations to to really deeply investigate that and interrogate it, um, you know, not in the way the mainstream media was. And actually, um, the mother of one of the Central Park Five will be serving on the local station board with us, uh, Sharon Salam. Um, And, you know, that's really continued today. Uh, It's really a shame that WBAI, you know, isn't on air right now because there's plenty that could have been covered. Um, I remember somebody tweeted, you know, that right now WBAI would have been covering the hearing about uh, the closing Rikers and building the new jails. Mm -hmm. And certainly there was there was no radical perspective on that anywhere, anywhere else in the media that I could find. Um, 
yeah you had like new york ones like errol morris was like like attacking the protesters this past from this past friday on twitter as like crazies (laughs) and it's what's particularly absurd about that and like what's so upsetting about bai not being on the air is that like prisoners people who are locked in cages have barely any access to information and this was one of the only sort of radical perspectives perspectives that actually valued their humanity that could be heard within the uh, violent brutality of our incarceration system absolutely and and picking up from that jack one of the things that um our collective was able to do as sort of a group bonding organizing activity was take a trip to the Interference Archive um, uh, elsewhere in Brooklyn, um, which had an exhibit at the end of this summer about revolutionary radio, talking about the history not only of WBAI in this type of uh, countercultural radical tradition, but also radio as a medium and the ways in which because it is both terrestrial and it's kind of bounded by local uh, the, the limits of the airwaves or it was for a long time it meant that local struggles were very much um, sort of easier to cover or more often covered on local radio stations also because it can be broadcast into places where people are incarcerated there's actually been organizing projects within the last five years to do a sort of guerrilla radio type of approach that broadcasts specifically into prisons that takes calls back that takes letters back that reads them on the air um, and that tries to bring a sense of humanity and culture in the outside world to people who are incarcerated so when we talk about um, our organizing with red wave i think it's instructive to Um, remember that we are operating here at this one station, but that we're also operating within uh, a tradition and a modern-day movement of radio, because I think that might be one of the first questions that people have, you know, hearing about our project is, why a radio station, right? Um, In this era of podcasts, why a radio station? So for me, talking about the qualities of radio that are specific to radio are really interesting. My last point on that is that, you know, Jack joked about it just a second ago. He said, oh, we have live action here on, on Revolutions Per Minute. But as an artist, right, and as somebody who has an appreciation for performance, um, I do appreciate that that's an aspect of the radio that you can be sitting, talking into a microphone, knowing that people are listening to you right then, right? There's a sense of connection that you get to the audience when you're you're hosting um, on the radio. And then, of course, for people to be able to call in for that direct interaction, the interpersonal interaction that in some ways is unique um, in its in its tie to radio, um, I think is tremendously exciting. I think WBAI has made really good use of it. And I think for me as a, as a staff member of the board and as a producer of a show on the station, it's w- one avenue that I'd like to pursue and sort of pursue creatively because I think that's an aspect of democracy, right? Being able to speak directly to the people who are giving you news analysis and commentary rather than having them be voices coming down from on high. Yeah, and I think uh, before we move on and talk like about why the unique structures that make BAI a unique institution, why it's an institution that we need to fight for, obviously also there are flaws and things that as Red Wave we want to do so it can live up to its potential. But it it's also brought an internationalist perspective into people's homes. And there's a certain institutional credibility that comes with being on the radio. So when someone can tune on to tune into ninety nine point five FM and hear an interview with uh, Che Guevara. Uh, this is going back to his last interview that he gave, recorded, was broadcast live on BAI and wow. the Pacifica Network. And this was something that no other uh, type of like mainstream media offers that it's always going to be in that situation a corporate perspective because things decisions are made from the top and by who funds the station if who funds it runs it where this is funded by its listeners and it's also run by a democratically elected board on the local and national level mm-hmm. and that's the sort of first step of the project that um, Red Wave is getting involved in. And would either of you want to explain what the local station board is to our listeners? Um, I guess I will. Um, 
the local station board is has 24 members it has representatives from the staff and from listeners um and every well it's not every year it's every every year and then skip a year i think um that half the board is elected uh 12 people um and its responsibilities are vast but also nebulous <laughs> um <laughs> you know it we definitely had some trouble sort of putting a finger on what the board actually could do as opposed to what it it had been doing which um was sort of stymied by i, I think i'm allowed to say some infighting um between people with uh like with conflicting views but both but all with the the interests of the station at heart. Um, but I think a lot of what we're going to be doing, especially as Red Wave, is we want to focus on fundraising and financing for the station. And that is something that the local station board um, has some ability to sort of brainstorm and put forward plans about. They're also responsible for um, evaluating the general manager and the program director and also sort of like assembling a pool of people to choose that from. Um, I don't know. They and electing people to the national board, right. which that has additional power in terms of hiring, firing with management and also setting the general tone and direction of the station as a whole. Right. And ideally, that would be a sort of symbiotic, natural relationship. But um, I don't know if we want to talk about the shutdown, maybe after. This. I mean, I feel like that is very much related to like yeah. why the timing of why we got involved right. in running for the board because there is a serious financial crisis within the Pacifica network Absolutely. and there's been long-term factional infighting both within WBEI itself different factions have have used parliamentary tactics to <laughs> yeah. prevent certain um, directions that could be taken in terms of shifting programming or management or ways of financing, and that's taken its way to the national level. And we've talked on RPM before about the situation with WBAI. We are not currently on the air. The signal has been, I would argue it's pretty clear, been stolen by Absolutely. Pacific uh, by a faction at Pacifica National right. who doesn't even have the majoritarian support of the national board there. Right. And that there is a group of people who want to take advantage of a real crisis that has happened, that is that there's a lot of blame to go around, and use that to basically, I would argue, strip this this network and particularly BAI for parts because yeah. BAI is on 99.5 FM and that asset in of itself is worth tens of millions of dollars in New York City yeah 99.5 FM in New York City which yeah. is right next to Z100 and Hot 97 it's mm -hmm. in the core of like the most highly listened to radio stations and it reaches uh, New Jersey and parts of Connecticut and just yeah it's it's much more even than New York City it's like a 20 million person out. It's 15 wow. to 20 million. It's like metropolitan area. 90 mile radius. 90 mile radius. Thanks, Reggie. Reggie's the expert here. We don't <laughs> Just to give you some um, kind of uh, perspective on what 99.5 FM means, 88.3 is as low down as it goes. So 99.5 is pretty far up there. That's as far left as you can go on the FM dial. <laughs> My college radio station was 88.1, and it only broadcast to the campus. <laughs> so, like, because it's it has this real asset, it's something that like is worth fighting for. Like, and the left has like as a whole collect like the the movement in the U.S. and even globally, but like I think it's hard to like really talk about things in that broad perspective, but like has been on the defensive with the sort of institutions that it has power over and in some sense like the assets that it holds and this this 99.5 fm is one of like outside of unions and some really important critical volunteer organizations is is one of the really like most valuable like market assets that is held by the left and it could be it has immense potential to really broadcast the movements and help provide financial support for the movement, too, by connecting people. But it also, because of that, provides a lot of potential value for people who want to sell it off. <laughs> so that's kind of our collective read on the situation. Yeah. 
And so we decided, I mean, and I think we all have individual stories for how we got involved. And I don't know how much longer you can stick around, Amy. A couple minutes. Yeah. Okay. Um, that this is something worth fighting for, that this this broadcasting signal, that the history here that we're talking about, that the also the workers like Reggie, we absolutely stand in solidarity with them. The It was outrageous that they tried to fire people with zero notice and a complete violation of union contracts. And that's been like held pretty firm by the legal apparatus, which is normally not on the side of workers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so from... So from our end of things, like uh, myself and then Amy a little bit later got involved with the station through RPM. Mm-hmm. Um, a joke I like to tell in the story is that it was the first time that anything productive came out of a left forum panel. Ooh, <laughs> spicy. Now that's too spicy for the And air. I know, Forget I know. George Carlin. <laughs> Uh, and that's a, obviously a very insider left joke that a lot of people wouldn't think is funny, but uh, it that I was like lucked out. I decided to do some panel, and I was like, I'm walking to a firing squad. Like, why am I doing this? But uh, there were uh, a representative of the station was there, and then it sort of worked out through building a relationship um, with this person that we, DSA, would have a show mm-hmm. on WBAI. Mm-hmm. And that we that they there's an attempt happening at the station to reconnect with the actual movements that are happening. It wasn't just DSA that's gotten shows. There's been some other movement-based organizations that have gotten pulled into BAI in, in the past couple years as it attempts to deal with some of those problems. So what we wanted to do with RPM was, one, be broadcasting the work that is going on with DSA and the broader left in New York City and the new movements that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um but also, we saw it as an opportunity that we could really bring the movements to the station, that we could, the station could live up to and fulfill its potential as a broadcasting network apparatus of the movement. Right. And so from there, after kind of, you know, building some, like, real connections and relationships at the station didn't want to just like dive in immediately and go into the elections that like we felt that it was time that we could really bring the sort of energy to the local station board the connection to the movements that are happening to ground and also the growing left media uh, network that mm-hmm. is a bit like disparate and that if we could y- we could utilize the resources of this station the history of this station to really bring all of that um energy and organizing together uh if i'm i'm probably missing plenty of things and i feel like no, you I, each have your own different angles for getting involved with the project too i think that's a really good top level summary jack and i think it's also for me instructive to remember that the station were the ones that reached out to us to offer us the show, right, essentially, that um, there was an intentionality to the relationship between WBAI and uh, DSA, Democratic Socialists of America. And uh, one of the things that we've been reflecting on a lot, both in RPM and within the Red Wave Collective, is that um, this is the type of work, sometimes, you know, I get down on myself, as we all do, and I think, why am I spending time organizing to make a radio show or organizing on this radio station project when there's you know family separation at the border there's climate change there's the rise of global fascism there's whatever you want to point to and then i think well this is the work that allows us to shine a light on all the other work that's happening to address those specific issues as well and nothing is possible Right. If people don't know about it. And so the work that we're doing um, is not trivial. I don't think it's um, to the side of other organizing. I think, in fact, it's quite central to building DSA's power and building the power of the working class in New York City. And something that you said, Jack, really um, stuck with me. Um, You said that this project has been about building a, a working class media that can not only critique capitalism, but also strike back, right? There's no lack of critique 
in the media world right now. You can find you can find articles and and blog posts and and podcasts critiquing everything, right? But I think what RPM brings is that we're also offering solutions. We're offering ways to get involved. We're p connecting theory and, and practice. And um, not to toot our own horn, but I think that's, <laughs> I do think that's pretty special. And I, I before I leave um, to run to my class at the Murphy Institute, speaking of another right. working class institution, um, I do want to say that, you know, one thing that being the official radio show and podcast of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America, we could very easily be so much less earnest than we are, right? <laughs> like, we could very easily be more, you know, the, more humorous, more social, more conversational. Ironic. Ironic, that's the word <laughs> yeah. I'm looking for. But we're not. We're not ironic. We are actually so earnest that it makes your teeth hurt. <laughs> and um, that's that's not for no reason, right? It's because that we are serious organizers ourselves who are hosting and producing the show. And our guests are serious organizers, and we have respect for that. So I think I'm really proud of the way that this show represents the work that DSA does. And, and I hope that the, the rest of our comrades feel the same way as well. I, I certainly want to represent them in the way that they want to be represented. Um, so I'm going to, uh, with that, I'm going to uh, take off and leave the conversation to Jack and Charlotte. But you will hear me later in the show uh, as special correspondent Amy Wilson. And I do want to say, since we're talking about uh, things on a meta level today, the interview that we're going to play uh, on the air for the today's show is the first in-depth interview that has been done with these members of an oppositional coalition of TWU Local 100. This is one of the biggest and most important labor stories that's going to come out in New York City if TWU Local goes on strike, right? And we are talking to the people who are organizing within their unions, their rank-and-file organizers, who, who other people are not speaking to. They are comrades in DSA's labor branch, and um, I think you'll really like a lot of what they have to say. So thanks, Jack. Thanks, Charlotte. Uh, thanks, listeners. Bye. Bye, Amy. Thanks for being on, Amy. And um, that's a perfect note to end on. And uh, we won't be seeing you, but our listeners will be hearing from you in a bit. <laughs> uh, so, Charlotte, your, like, your experience getting involved with Red Wave is different than Amy and I's because you haven't you're you weren't part of RPM or a host or producer um, and you come at this from a, a like not a different organizing background but just you got involved as a listener candidate so do you want to just like tell everyone a little bit about your experience why you got involved with third wave like why you felt like it was an important struggle yeah yeah um well, Jack was the one who brought it to the attention of, well, the caucus within DSA that we're both in. I think I can say that, right? Yeah, we're publicly emerged members. So <laughs> yeah, members of Emerge, which is a, dare I say, left caucus within uh, New York City DSA. Um, and uh, Jack mentioned this to some comrades. And I think at first, uh, all of us were trying to relive the glory of our college radio days, <laughs> uh, WMUC at University of Maryland, 81, 88.1 FM. Um, and uh, I, I just really, I saw the connection between, you know, I'm not a big podcast listener, but they're everywhere. And um, I think part of that is because it, this goes back to a lot of what Amy was saying, but podcasting that's disseminated through the internet, it's, it's a parasocial relationship. It's something where you, you pretend you're friends with the people you hear chatting every day. Um, but with the radio, you call in. And you can actually have that social relationship. You can actually, you know, like have your voice heard. Um, and so I saw it as just sort of a different animal. And also, you know, just sort of the wealth of connections that a lot of us have with, um, you know, book publishers, um, you know, journalists, podcasters, other people in the independent um, left media scene that um, we could really bring some of that sort of like youth, I guess, and vitality to the station. Um, and also, I am weirdly interested in sort of like democratic processes. And, you know, having been on um, NYC DSA's citywide leadership committee, um, and I really did experience like a, a sort of collective decision making, a representative democracy that 
you know, it, it, as far as that goes, is very functional. And it's, it's very, very rewarding and valuable when you actually have a room come together with a lot of differences and walk away saying, you know, like, I may not have gotten my way, you know, quote, my way, but like, we, we really made a decision. And um, learning about the struggles um, with, with the local station board and the national board, I think personally, I just saw an opportunity for us to bring DSA's organizational prowess to making a democratically run board functional. Um, and yeah, and I also, I think it's fair to say that none of us fully knew what we were signing up for, um, but the elections process and just working with everyone, was it was just super great. And um, we got into it pretty late in the game, I'd say, as far as like how I'm comfortable entering organizing projects, but we, we really pulled it out. I mean, to begin with, we signed up over 100 new members to WBAI and that in itself was you know a source of income for the station yeah which um, is a t- at least $25 commitment so it's right. not like nothing like oh just sign this petition it's like no you're committing to becoming part of this project so we had to demonstrate that like we had real a real vision and real commitment and I right. think there were a number of people who trusted like that bought in and were like okay like we trust both of all of you because we've organized with you before and we see that this is a valuable thing that you're doing right yeah and i think what you were mentioning with like the internal democracy Mm -hmm. um aspect is a really critical thing that we want to be doing with bai because i think there is a crisis of internal democracy here i mean it's there's an attempt to liquidate it right now with this pacifica network crisis and also because of the factional infighting for a long time and i know like you're saying like dsa is not perfect no but from our experience here and my experience in some other like like organizations that try to run democratically like dsa does it a lot better and i and i think our experiences with that and i think like you're someone who has like particularly a lot of experience in that realm can be really helpful for the functioning of the station like we can really work to build a, a democratic worker-owned media that's functional, that is better than like capitalist-owned media operations or like like nonprofit media operations that are only dominated by like a hierarchical board, and then we're seeing like and we're seeing the effects of those sorts of institutions having on the media right now. Like I opened the the episode like talking about how there's a war being waged on independent media and it's not just the crisis here at Pacifica like in this past like 2 months like Splinter and Deadspin like mm-hmm. two websites that were kind of articulating their own unique position that had unionized staff that were like anti-capitalist were willing to cover stories on different angles and do much better writing than like some like garbage site like barstool or like boring stuff on espn like deadspin and their sports coverage then you it like they were destroyed not because they weren't performing well but because they they're did not match the interests of the owners. Right. They weren't obeying the dictates of uh, the hierarchy. Yeah. I think also um, it's worth mentioning the Freelance Writers Union as sort of a project that I feel that we, we have a kinship with because that is taking these these media work- workers who aren't, you know, don't fully have power and finding that, like, collective solidarity. And um, that's a really exciting project. Yeah, the, like, the freelance uh, workers union and then just and in general the the large amount of union organizing that's going on in media and i think our relationships with people in those unions and those are fighting to organize unions and wanting to kind of build that relationship with bai is another really like crucial reason that we got involved in this fight because we see what's happening in the Mm -hmm. big picture in media we see this is a place that uh, is obviously flawed. We have our critiques of it, but has the potential to be something like truly special for building power for the left and maybe be a model for like working class institutions in the media. And if we can kind of build these relationships and kind of like, instead of having these disparate organizing silos have kind of a nexus, Mm. it could, there's a lot of like amazing potential here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Shoot, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. If I mean, we do want to get to Amy's clip, and then I think get yeah. back and recap a little, maybe get a little more specific in our vision and goals, maybe in the short term for the station yeah, and for the Red Wave Collected, how people can get involved. So let's let's go to that clip that our special correspondent, Amy Wilson, put together, and uh, then we'll hear Charlotte's next thought when we get back. Hopefully. <laughs> What's up, New York City? This is Amy Wilson for Revolutions Per Minute. New Yorkers uh, working downtown on uh, this last Wednesday, October 30th, might have encountered a very dramatic spectacle held by TWU Local 100, the union of transit workers who keep our city running. Uh, in front of a crowd of thousands, union leadership declared that the bear has been poked TWU Local 100 needs their contract, and uh, the fight is on. Uh, but as uh, socialists and members of DSA, we know that there may be more to that story. So here today, I have uh, three uh, members of TWU Local 100 who are part of an oppositional coalition, Local 100 Fight Back, uh, to hear a little bit more about their struggle to organize within their union. So hi, everyone. Thanks so much for being here today. Hi, Amy. And um, let's hear a little bit about each of you. Hi, my name is Andrew Metking, signal maintainer, New York City Transit, about six years. And my name is John Ferretti. I'm a train conductor, a Local 100 shop steward, and one of the founders of the Local 100 Fight Back Coalition. I'm Seth Rosenberg. I'm a train operator. I also am a shop steward and also one of the founders of Local 100 Fight Back. Thanks so much to all of you. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, your group. Okay, well, um, the Local 100 Fight Back Coalition was um, a coalition of activists who came together um, when they began to see that the struggles they were fighting over safety and over fighting against fare hikes and fighting against job cuts were all really connected. Like, we, we uh, got in touch with people in the stations department, got in touch with people in signals and maintenance away, and we began to see how all those struggles were connected. Um, we we didn't originally want to want to form another splinter opposition group within the union. What we wanted to form was like a united front coalition of all of those who were opposed to the boss-loving strategy of our current union leadership under Tony Utano, and um, basically Local 100 Fight Back was formed through the course of that. Um, and basically the whole point of the coalition was to allow members' voices to be heard, to allow the democratic will of the membership to actually be implemented, and you know, ultimately to let members trot the course of the kind of struggles that we needed to really defend ourselves. Anything to add? Um, yeah, just an, another piece of that that's been important from the beginning is that uh, we've been pushing within Local 100 and our coalition is formed around the idea of that a real fight uh, for transit workers is not just a fight within our union, but to be connected to larger causes of social justice um, issue. We've, we've founded around the issues of fighting against fare hikes. Um, we're also interested in issues of um, police brutality. Uh, you know, there have been incidents rec recently, and um, we think that it's the responsibility of transit workers to uh, to stand in solidarity with other people oppressed under capitalism, and that they f we form natural allies. Um, and a big part of that is the MTA debt. Uh, the system is falling apart. There's a subway crisis. It affects riders. They want to raise the fares on people, and so we, you know, that we have to. The, the debt is is central, and we have to take that on uh, as an issue. Anything to add? No, I'm comfortable with that. So, uh, 
going off of what you uh, just introduced into our conversation, um, you are all uh, my comrades, uh, not only in the worker, rider, solidarity way, but in the sense that you're members of the Democratic Socialists of America labor branch, right? That is correct. Okay, so, so let's talk a little bit about that. You know, why is your struggle a socialist struggle? Well, I think socialists are best positioned to play a role in leading struggles of self-defense of the working class because historically they played that role. And historically they understand the nature of capitalism that Seth was you know, talking about in terms of where does the crisis come in society. It, the crisis of society comes because of the private profit interests of the capitalist are the altar upon which the whole society is built upon. And everything gets sacrificed at that altar. And fundamentally, socialists are traditionally the only um, forces in union struggles or any kind of struggles that are not willing to compromise the interests of the working class, that are not willing to allow our classes' living standards to be savage, to sacrifice what is in the interest of our class for the interest of those capitalists. And um, so it, it, put, it puts us in an interesting position to play a leadership role in those struggles. Um, but also because we're workers that are trained to think politically. You know, I mean, we have wider experiences in social justice struggles, so it's, it's a natural role that socialists are positioned to play. That doesn't mean that socialists don't learn tremendously from workers and their own experiences. It just means that we have an advantage that other workers don't have in terms of being trained to think that way. Yeah, I think a absent any kind of ideological foundation, anybody that stays in activism and on the, the sort of union side of things for too long gets divorced from the actual work. Most of our leadership hasn't done field work in years and years, and they have sort of the job changes and you change the longer you're out of it. And however incorruptible you might like to think you are, there's got to be something grounding you to that struggle. Because if you're just a labor leader because you didn't like the last people and you want to be in charge, well, then once you're in charge, what guides your actions? It's, it becomes a, a thing of, of self-interest and you lose any kind of labor consciousness you might have had from proximity to labor before because you're not doing the work anymore. Yeah, and just a, another piece I think is that um, being a socialist gives us a wider political um, view and a set of tools to analyze things, like as I mentioned, the debt before, right, that um, we're really the only people within the local talking about the debt as a central issue causing the subway crisis and used by the TA and politicians to pit riders against uh, transit workers. And so we understand as people who believe that the working class needs to be united, that we need to fight against that and we need to, we need to realize that the debt is really a mechanism now. It's at $40 billion. As An uh, Andrew mentioned to me earlier, it's going to be 20% of our operating budget. It's just debt service. Yeah, and yeah. so it's money going from riders and taxes to pay Wall Street and rich investors. Welfare. Yeah, and so um, the idea that we want to take that debt on and say, right, cancel that debt or a moratorium on debt payments, which capitalists would say, oh, my God, that's going to cause a financial crisis. And we say, well, you brought, you brought this on yourselves, right? Workers don't deserve to pay for it. Working families don't deserve to pay for it. Transit workers don't deserve to pay for it. And we're willing to stand up and, fa and face that and say, you face the consequences of that. And workers will learn that, right, there's no future for them under the system. Well, as we were uh, talking about uh, just a moment ago um, in our getting to know each other conversation. Uh, just last night, I myself was uh, participating in an action uh, to protest recent incidents of police brutality uh, in the MTA. And so I was marching in the streets of downtown Brooklyn uh, with a coalition of young people, mostly of color. And among the chants that uh, made the most impact in our group, one was uh, from, a, from the A to the Z, public transit should be free. And now I'm sitting here with the, the three of you, and you would be in solidarity with that demand. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Fair, fair we, agree, we agree with Mike Quill. Public transit should be free. That was the founder of our union. Mm -hmm. It's no surprise he was a socialist founder of the union who was for mass transit to be free and for the ruling class and the bosses to pay for workers to be transported to jobs where they are exploited, and he was for them being unionized in those jobs. So, I mean, that's the history that that we 
adhere to, and that's what anybody who really believes in any kind of future for the working class really should be fighting for. Nobody says it's going to happen tomorrow, but if you don't make a demand, how can we be taken seriously, and how can workers begin to see the direction that society should go? Absolutely. And so what would you say has been the reaction within your local to the organizing that you've been doing so far? Well, at first, I think that it was, um, there was some hostility, you know, to the work that we were doing in terms of fighting for safety because it was in the middle of an election. And there was groups that didn't want, uh, even though they were opposed to Utano, that didn't want members to democratically decide who should run for what office, what the opposition should consist of, what the demand should be, or any of that. Um, so for a period of time, there was um, people who, although they were opposed to Yutano, did not necessarily rally to the fights that we led with, you know, a handful of people, like in different departments. Uh, but I think since then, um, especially since the September 25th rally, where, you know, over 100 transit workers came out, other activists, students, and, and their voices were heard, and it was such a successful event that, that the, many of these other opposition forces took part in, it began to change the dynamic, and it began to move. I think when members started moving into action, the consciousness changed and the discussion changed. So, no, I, I do think September 25th was kind of a turning point for us because this action was... It was really brought to the different sections of the union. We brought up motions and, and signals. We brought them up in train operators and, and stations. We brought it up. And everywhere we're bringing it up, the members are voting overwhelmingly for it. It was unanimous in my division to the point where the leadership very grumpily had to actually vote for it because, you know, it's a, it's a voice vote and they looked rather silly standing in front of a room of people asking for this and being the, the only curmudgeons. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that kind of made it very apparent that... This was voted on, then the union did nothing to organize it, and we organized it, and it made it very clear that we weren't just going to go away. We were actually going to follow through on these things, and I, I think people do respond to that. Yeah, I'm wondering if I should, based on that, give a little bit of back context with respect to this whole contract struggle. Absolutely, um, yeah, I that would be great. might be a time for that. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, basically... Right. What we have right now is we have a leadership of Local 100 that is tied deeply to Governor Cuomo, who has a very anti-worker and anti-union agenda right now. They ha they've been tied to him for years. The last two contracts have included significant givebacks that they've had to work with the MTA to figure out how to sell to us, uh, and they've passed. And so this time, um, Local 100 uh, actually is working closely with Cuomo and when the contract expired, basically did nothing to organize, organize us. Um, and actually at a, at a union meeting said that we should wait until the MTA gets reorganized and gets their act together before we start doing anything, which I think as a socialist, I think gives seeds the ground and the advantage. And so um, our contract expired right in May, uh, in May, May right? And then as fall came around and then when they came out with these demands, uh, the members started were started to, I think, connect to the stuff that we had been saying, that saying, you know, that this is really serious, and they were angry and they were scared, and we started to we started to organize, saying we have to do something now. And because of the union being tied to Cuomo, they don't see any rush to do that, so they wanted to do something around Halloween. This what we were talking about just as fall started, and so we organized we organized our own rally. And as Andrew was saying, um, it was really the point where. We, where members started to realize that the stuff that we had been talking about was we were really giving voice to the anger and voice the dissatisfaction with the way the contract campaign was being led. Mm -hmm. So as we are, as we do continue through the next months and maybe years of uh, this dynamic within TWU, um, what does your group see as the next potential outcome? What are things that... Um, people who want to get involved as riders in solidarity or members of other unions, perhaps, in solidarity, how can we support you? Well, one way you can support us is by joining the Local 100 Fight Back Coalition page and sharing your experiences and beginning to connect your experiences to the struggles that we're facing, because you know, as we've been talking about, they're all connected. Um, as far as what members can do, um, members... Um, 
can step forward in their division meetings and raise further motions for the kinds of actions that would really be necessary to defend us. You know, for example, you know, Seth was pointing, uh, I think Seth was pointing out about safety in the, in the subways. I mean, I don't know if you had heard, but there's like blocks of wood and steel uh, pieces of track equipment falling from the structure, yeah. crashing into people's cars. We warned about this long ago, um, and now uh, it's now to pointing in the direction of members taking action. We need to demand that the union leadership organizes to enforce safety on the job. Um, the, the TA is vulnerable on this, and it's a way for members to build up confidence to, to not accept the kind of conditions they face every day on the job. Uh, so that's one way forward. Another way forward is calling for a general um, membership meeting that can actually discuss and debate the way forward. Oh, I thought you were going to say calling for a general, general strike. strike. <laughs> not, not, yeah, not yeah. yeah. We are not very much in favor of a general strike, but I think a general membership meeting would be a first step. Okay, all right, noted. And also it's a way for members to grab the reins of the contract struggle um, because the leadership has embarrassed, disunited us, and actually united us with our enemy. And because they've clearly failed, the only way forward is for the membership to actually take control of this struggle. So that's some of the sketching out some of the things that they could do. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say a little bit with respect to, in addition to what people could do, like why it's so important for people to get involved in this, right, that... Um, as I spoke about the relation between Cuomo and our union leadership, Local 100 is traditionally one of the um, considered the most militant unions, and Cuomo knows that, and he's using that relationship right now. He thinks that he can get our leadership to accept givebacks, and if you know, for the socialists out there who are looking at the wider labor scene. Cuomo sees us as the key, that if he can get our leadership to accept givebacks, it's going to affect, it's going to try, really force other unions in the city and the state to accept them as well. So it really behooves everyone to realize that this is a key point in the labor struggle and that, um, that we need the help of uh, other workers and, and so forth. When, you know, when we're holding actions, when we are doing safety enforcement to protect ourselves and protect the riders... We need the public and we need people who are politically active to support us and to say that they're on the side of transit workers and not on the side of Cuomo and the MTA who are trying to go after us. We also need them to continue to come out to the board meetings yeah. and to be publicly seen showing solidarity with transit workers. It's been really inspiring and great to see college students step forward, take a, take a whole day off of studies, to come down and take on the MTA bosses face-to-face -face on live television is really inspiring. It's a really great step forward. Well, I think that uh, there are many people in this city who have beef with the MTA, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, certainly all, all four of us at this table and almost everybody who's a regular rider. Yeah. Right? We see this wave of dissatisfaction that, that's mounting. And um, as workers and, and riders and citizens of this city, you know, I, I agree with you that this is a struggle that we should all be watching carefully and, and, and doing our best to get involved with. Um, so I want to thank you all uh, for uh, speaking with me uh, today. Um, and now we'll go back to the studio for more on DSA's efforts to build a working class New York. Thank you, Amy, for that really great interview and uh, in solidarity with the workers at a TWU, um, Local 100, that are organizing for a better, more democratic union that is ready to fight against capitalism. So we're we're about to wrap up here, but um, we just wanted to you know open up to see uh, you know let everyone know like how to connect with Red Wave, um, kind of the events that are upcoming. Uh, Charlotte, do you want to tell? about the court case that's happening tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, there's been an ongoing legal battle surrounding this shutdown. Um, and tomorrow at 2.30 at 71 Thomas Street, there's going to be a really important hearing. Um, you know, uh, producers and listeners in the whole community would love it if you could show up and pack the court. Um, uh, it is possible that we walk away from this with local control of the station. But as all as with all things Pacifica, who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> all um, things left and American right. court system. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Um, and 
I, I also just want to say we're kind of talking about this a little bit during the break is that, you know, like there is a kind of a silver lining to this shutdown. And that is that we have the opportunity to come together across differences um, and rebuild together and, and also, you know, uh, raise money and come up with like innovative solutions for the station in a crisis situation. One of the things I kept thinking about when there was all this all of a sudden all this news coverage of the shutdown, because it was it was everywhere in the local New York uh, newspapers um, was people that were just learning about WBAI for the first time couldn't tune in and listen. They couldn't even get to the archives to say, oh, hey, what was on this station? You know, they had that awful Pacifica Across America one page, listen to stuff piped in from California, um, and people that could have genuinely been interested in stuff like, you know, like on On the Count or Let's Talk Native with John Kane or any of the, the many uh, great radio shows like most not all of these are like podcasted elsewhere so you couldn't even check it out for yourself um but we want to make sure that you know we come out of this with with everyone who's who's been interested in this story you know really listening to wbai and also um you know we've been talking about our collective and um it's small right now there's there's a lot of work by a very small number <laughs> of people and and really really like the rest of our slate mates and um people supporting us you know with crazy social media skills and making sure that everybody we signed up voted and um and these weren't even website. people some people didn't even run some people were just right. helping us out right there were seven the of us running but there were a lot of people behind the scenes um but you know as we transition into being elected members of a board we're definitely going to need um to grow the collective and all those connections we were talking about it'll be more than just that core of organizers because you know we want we want if you want to get in touch with us as red wave you can follow us on twitter at red wave wbai our facebook is also red wave wbai um and you can email us directly if you have any ideas uh at red wave wbai at gmail.com um we're still in like the sort of we're still putting ourselves back together after the election season and the shutdown, but we're definitely going to need all the help that we can get. Yeah, this victory in this election was just the beginning, and hopefully what we're doing at RPM is also just the, the beginning of kind of centering not theory in practice in um, left-wing media and trying to connect people with the movements and the organizing that's going on. And we're hoping, as we've talked about, to really find innovative ways to deal with the financial situation. And one um, way we're hoping of doing that is uh, RPM and Red Wave are going to be co-hosting a holiday social on December 6th at Eris Evolution. Um, there'll be more information online as the details are finalized. Uh, and uh, Charlotte just mentioned all of Red Wave's um, social media info. You can also, on Twitter, find us at um, NYC. Uh, wait, <laughs> I always I mix it's up. It's NYC RPM. NYC RPM. <laughs> at NYC RPM. I'm always like, is it RPM NYC? But um, so you can check us out there. Uh, there's going to be a lot of work to do. We want to be really building relationships um, and maintaining the ones that we already have with all these uh, media union organizers, with the kind of growing left media ecosystem, whether that's like online magazines or podcasts. And as um, and we believe that we're going to get um, WBAI back in air, we want to be connecting those movements with the live radio and give a uh, chance to people to connect with people live, like Charlotte was saying. You can, or was uh, maybe that was Amy before. Yeah, uh, it was both of us. You're both <laughs> saying that it's like the ability to be able to call and like talk to someone is so important and so different and unique about radio. So there's a lot of things um, that this place offers, this institution offers. And what we're fighting for in Red Wave, I think, is our part of our broader collective project is to both rebuild existing working class institutions and to fighting organizations that are capable of really building power against capital, but also building new working class institutions and in kind of in a in a mutually beneficial way. Take the existing ones, the power that they have, grow that power so we can build power in other spheres and kind of expand the sites of struggle. 
Um, so, and there's a lot of exciting stuff happening in New York City. Incredible protests last Friday where people are storming the subway. We want to be covering more stuff like that. And RPM, uh, WBAI, and Red Wave are fully on board with that sort of project. Um, I, do you have any last words, Charlotte? Well, it just made me think of something that uh, Amy said the other day, which is that this is the work that amplifies the rest of the work and that um, that's what we really want to be able to do is there's there's also people already out there in underrepresented communities that are creating their own content and it's not like we're going to you know like pull this stuff out of thin air it's already out there and we just need to make sure that um, the issues that matter are being heard by as many people as possible um, and not just on, you know, by a few thousand Patreon subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we want to ha- there to be a real nexus broadcasting to millions of people, the organizing, the movements, uh, so that they can get involved and really fight and build power. So thank you so much for joining us, Charlotte. <laughs> Thanks, this was so fun. I was happy to finally have you on um, and be able to share this work um, with everyone. I mean, people have been following us on social media but I think mm-hmm. this is, it's nice to have a more expansive opportunity to talk about it. Um, we hope to hear from some of you directly about getting involved, and you'll hear from RPM next week, hopefully live on WBAI 99.5 FM.